I just want to thank our partner, Mira Fertility Tracking, for working with us to help women to get connected to the opportunity to actually measure hormones at home. It is the technology that I personally use during my menopausal transition. It was life-changing for me. You can find more information on Mira on our website at menocoaching.com, and you can also find it on our show notes. We look forward to supporting you and your hormone transition. I actually prefer when the doctors are heavily involved because it makes my job easier and it's always better to have two minds. And then the third part of this is, is that having the patient involved, we call it the triad of pharmacist, doctor, and patient. The three together, really, you get the best outcome that way. Welcome to What I Wish I Knew. I'm your host, Irene Ortiz-Glass. What I Wish I Knew is dedicated to providing women with information and a guided path to finding healing, purpose, and joy. It is to also give women power and permission to go inward during this time of perimenopause and menopause to find their inner compass and to actively make changes that will allow them to thrive during this period of time in their lives. In this season, we will be focused on the issues surrounding the menopause transition, and I will be sharing what I wish I knew. Um, Just as a disclaimer, this does not displace you working with a physician um, and a doctor of your choice around um, these issues. This is simply information only. Today, I'm very excited to have Ali Rezai with us today. Um, He is a compounding pharmacist, a doctor of pharmacy, Um, He is the founder and owner of King's Pharmacy and um, works in the community in Orange County. He is, um, you know, somebody I've worked with personally. He consults with physicians and patients on medication dosages, on drug interactions, medical equipment, disease management, and the side effects of these hormones and over-the-counter medication. Um, He dispenses and compounds over 500 prescriptions weekly. So it is just such an important topic today. We're going to be focused on bioidentical hormones and testing. What do we need to be thinking about when we go down the road of getting into hormone therapy? And what do we need to be testing for to find balance? So um, it's just great to have you here, Ali. You've helped me, you know, in my own personal life so much at King's Pharmacy. I think I've worked with you now over 15 years and have been so blessed by what you've provided for me in my own body. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about how and why did you become a pharmacist and how did you get into compounding pharmacy? Well, it's interesting. Um, my mom actually is a pharmacist. She graduated from USC School of Pharmacy um, in 1994. And being exposed to that at such a young age, I kind of saw some of the benefits of being a pharmacist and, and how much freedom you have um, and time you have to spend with patients. Um, and when she came out of school, she gravitated towards becoming a compounding pharmacist. And I, you know, when I got out of school, I, I joined her for a brief stint about a year. Um, and I just really, really enjoyed being a pharmacist, but more importantly, a compounding pharmacist, because I was able to customize medications for patients, uh, like yourself, um, cause no two patients are alike and, it's just a proper recipe. You're given certain details 
certain variables and you got to take that all in, blend it together and give you the perfect smoothie. So yeah, yeah for and sure. uh, it's, it's all about customization. And I, and I like customizing. I like building. That's kind of why I gravitated towards that. Obviously, my mom was a huge factor, um, very inspirational woman, taught me a lot about what I know and patient care and spending yeah. the time to listen more and talk less, which I think yeah. is key as a pharmacist. And are you of the belief that we should be looking at labs and symptoms or more symptoms versus labs? Like, what's your take on that? I think the subjective and the objective symptoms and labs together should be used in order to get to paint the best picture. Um, and in the world of laboratory testing, um, blood testing, saliva testing, there's so many different companies. Who do you go with? And it can be overwhelming and confusing. I always say more information is always better. Um, if, you know, if someone goes out and gets blood work done and then they feel like, you know what, the picture is not properly painted. Well, at that point, they can go on and get saliva and see if that can help clarify some of the questions that both the provider and the patient may have. Um, I do believe the most amount of information you can get from laboratory testing or even just asking, doing a proper medical history with a patient will give you the best outcome because a lot of times things are overlooked. Uh, some of my providers that I've worked with over the years spend 30, 45 minutes getting a proper medical history um, from, you know, fam familial cancers, mother's side, father's side, sister, aunt. Um, when did your symptoms start? How did they start? Was it a surgical menopause? Was it a natural menopause? At what age? You know, what is the trend in your family? These things all help paint that picture. And that makes our job easier. Yeah. Ultimately. Otherwise, we're shooting in the dark if we don't know these things. Yeah. So when you're thinking about testing and you're going through perimenopause and then into menopause, what should we be testing for? You know, what levels should we be even looking at? Because I know, you know, some people believe that it's just the hormones. Other people believe it's adrenals and thyroid. And, you know, we sort of like to look at the whole system. What is your point of view on that? I always say that in every scenario, it's always best to start off with some the basic hormones, mm -hmm. estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid, DHEA, um, FSH, LH. Um, uh, you can get into even more details as far as the types of estrone um, with, in, in salivary testing. But I think estrogen, progesterone, and those, the big players, you should start off with those as well first, um, as well as a proper, you know, doing a, a complete blood culture, cholesterol, blood glucose, and seeing how those levels also are, because that can also play into, you know, overall wellness. Um, but during perimenopause specifically, I target the big players, the EPT, as I call them, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, um, because they all contribute to how a woman feels. And although people will say, well, if you've got hot flashes or night sweats, that usually means that you have a lack of estrogen. Well, it could also mean that you have too much progesterone. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's not just as simple as pinning a specific symptom to a specific level. Yeah. I wish it was that easy. Me too. Yeah. Right? Because then I would see a patient and after three months, we'd have it nailed down and the patient would be going along their way and they'd be happy. The fact of the matter is it's not that easy. Yeah. Uh, Hair growth is a big thing. You can have too much testosterone and that can cause hair loss. 
you cannot not have enough estrogen or progesterone that can also cause hair loss. So there's multi, like there's so many different elements to this. And even answering the question of perimenopause versus menopause, look, I say, get me as much, as much information as possible. Give me the estrogen, the progesterone, your thyroid, TSH, free T3, free T4. Give me everything and allow me to digest it with your provider. And hopefully we can come up with a remedy that works. So how do you work with the providers? Is Are these people that you've worked with for a long time, how do they find you? What's the relationship that you have with the providers? I know for me, I, I've worked with one woman for years who always goes to, to King's to get you know, my stuff compounded. So I'm wondering, how does that relationship work? I mean, many of the women we work with are really struggling with their providers. And, and I'll ask you the question about synthetics in a minute, but they don't even believe in compounding. You know, I bring it up to them and they're saying to me, wow, you know, my doctor doesn't even believe in compounding. So right. how do you work with the provider to 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 find, you know, the, what's best for a woman? You know, I always joke, there's certain things that you have to understand, like providers, like in-laws, like parents, you can't change the way they think, yeah. right? Some providers were educated in a specific way that where they were maybe not exposed to what you and I have been exposed to. Yeah. And I'm not in the business or nor do I have the energy to sit here and try to convince a doctor or nurse practitioner or provider who is so far on one side that if they don't see the benefits, then that's okay. That doesn't mean they're not a great provider. They may not be the best provider for our scenario. Yeah. And I can tell you there are thousands. They're everywhere. Yeah. And the more that are coming out of school are open to these therapies. Yeah. Um, how I developed my, you know, s s network of providers over the years starts off with a simple conversation. Hey, I've got a patient that has X, Y, Z issues, and these are her levels. What do you think we should do? Yeah. The moment I hear that question, it's like, well, this doctor's, I can just tell, wants to find the best solution for the patient. Yeah. When she says, what are we going to do? She wants to know my input. He wants to know my input. And I'm here to help. Yeah. Um, some doctors will say, hey, you know what? These are the levels. These are the symptoms. You take care of it. So in those scenarios, it's kind of like we're navigating a little bit more. I actually prefer when the doctors are heavily involved because it makes my job easier and it's always better to have two minds. And then the third part of this is, is that having the patient involved, you know, it, we call it the triad of pharmacist, doctor, and patient. The three together really, you know, you get the best outcome that way. Yeah. Um, and then there's a third type of doctor that says, you know what? I don't really care much for it. You know, I haven't done any hormone levels. I haven't really asked a lot of questions. What do you think we should do? And those ones are kind of like a blank canvas. And so I'll say, hey, listen, let's get as much information as we can. We'll talk to the patient, get some details. They'll call, order some labs. And then together, we'll come back and have a quick five-minute chat about the patient and what they've experienced with as much information as possible. And we'll come up with a remedy or a therapy that works for them. Yeah. So there's multiple avenues. And I've seen certain doctors that really, really over the years have gone above and beyond in yeah. doing a full medical history, getting as much lab work as they can. And then, you know, they'll recommend the patient to us 
and we'll go from that direction. So yeah. it really, there's just, there's not an exact way to do this, but I've just seen so many doctors over the years do such a great job that that That's network has know. expanded. It's, a, it's available to us. I think the other thing you're mentioning is like the triad. It's the patient advocacy, right? Like for right. myself, I've had to really learn my body to go to you and say like, hey, I mean, I had a really great conversation with one of your pharmacists the other day because I was like struggling with the dosage and, you know, um, he recommended something that nobody had recommended before and it really helped. So I think there's this whole idea, too, about like the advocacy of the, the patient of um, talking to you. So tell us the difference now. You know, everyone is talking about bioidentical versus synthetic. Um, there's some doctors that, you know, really don't believe that bioidentical matters or it's not as effective even as a synthetic hormone. Can you give us a, some insight into the differences of those two things? Sure. So let's start off with the word bioidentical. Bioidentical meaning same as what the body produces. I mean, that's literally what the word means. So when I'm giving someone estradiol, um, that's the same hormone that their body is producing. Therefore, when I test their levels via blood test, I can see how much estradiol is in the system because there's not a specific lab for a synthetic drug. There's a lab for that hormone. Right. So when I replace it, I can see what it's doing in the body. So that's, that's an example of a bioidentical hormone. Now, if a doctor is not really familiar with bioidentical hormones, they're probably familiar with Viveldoc, Minivel, Estragel, these are all bioidentical, commercially manufactured hormones. The Veldot and Minivel are a patch. They're available commercially, and it is bioidentical estradiol. So if they're comfortable with Vivel and Minivel, we're not too far away from a compounded biestrogen cream. Um, and then the question of synthetic. I mean, synthetic, as, as the word states, is to be essentially synthesized in a lab. Um, is a deceiving word and it, it causes a lot of confusion. Um, I want to make sure that when I compare natural versus synthetic, natural literally means it comes out of the, the ground, comes out of the earth, and we just grind it up and give it. And there's no alterations made once at all. Whereas a synthetic hormone is something that we have to obviously adulter in some way, shape, or form. We have to adjust it so that it's chemically identical. So there are bioidentical hormones that are made in a lab and they're synthesized. So I try not to use the word synthetic. Now, there are some types of hormones that are not bioidentical. Right. Um, for example, Premarin is a conjugated equine estrogen. That's not a hormone that we produce. Um, and we don't really, we're not able to measure it in the body. We can see the effects. We can see what it does to the symptoms. You know, it could possibly alleviate hot flashes and night sweats, but it also has some other side effects that some patients really don't care for. Um, so that's what a synthetic is. Another synthetic hormone would be Provera, which is a uh, medroxyprogesterone acetate. That's not bioidentical. Our body does not produce that. And if you look at the warning label, for example, for Provera, it says contraindicated in pregnancy. Now, the bioidentical version, I, I don't want to say version, but it's, you know, let's call it its bioidentical cousin would be progesterone. Right. Progesterone is actually used in pregnancy. The, the literal word of progesterone means to promote gestation, to promote birth. So that is a bioidentical hormone that I can measure. OBGYNs will actually measure progesterone level in the first trimester of a, a woman's pregnancy to see if that level is high or low. And in some cases, we will supplement them with progesterone suppositories or a commercially available drug like crinone 
to help boost that progesterone level to help promote gestation. Hmm. So bioidentical is something that is the same as what the body produces. Synthetic is a term that I don't use as much anymore, but really I stick to bioidentical. That's really what it comes down to. I give you what you are already producing and I replace. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not substituting here. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. And and do you find that women's bodies are more receptive to that because they're, you know, their body's feeling like it's what they sort of know? Like in my instance, I don't have ovaries, so I'm reliant on the hormones to give me what as close to what I would be getting if I could make them. In the case of, let's say, a diabetic patient who no longer produces insulin. Yeah. I would give them insulin at the end stage of their diabetes. Yeah. And I don't want to say end stage, but when they've gotten to the point where they're dependent on like a type one diabetic needs insulin. I wouldn't give them um, a different version of insulin. I would yeah. give them insulin because exactly. ultimately that's that's the hormone that we know yeah. in your body that's going to do A, B, and C. Yeah. Sometimes when you give these synthetic hormones like let's just call it, you know, Premarin or Provera, it's hard for me to know. I mean, we have evidence and we've seen studies, sure. but it's really hard to gauge how the woman's going to respond to it. Yeah. Whereas if I give her estradiol and progesterone, I know that at some point in her life, her estrogen level was here and her progesterone level was here. So theoretically, I should know how she's going to respond. Yeah. And I got to stay within those parameters as far as labs go as well. Yeah, what you can measure. So um, the other question that, you know, we're asked all the time is, okay, what are the delivery options? So I had this crazy experience, which, you know, I, I don't know if I'm unique. I always feel like I am in some ways with this experience, but I um, had started with a patch that was not Vividil. It was something different. It was um, a non-branded generic patch, and I was having horrible fluctuations on it. And then my uh, NAMS doctor suggested, you know, try the Vividot branded patch. You may have a better you know, response. Right. And so I, I was like night and day for me. I had a whole, a whole different experience after that. Um, I know other people take, you know, biased or creams or they take, you know, different forms. Is there, what are the d delivery methods? What options do women have? And is there one that's better than another? Well, in the world of estrogen, I always say, in my opinion, just based off evidence and, and decreasing the risk of, uh, clotting and so forth, topical administration of estrogens is always better. Um, that's, that's what I believe. That's what the evidence shows. Uh, oral estrogens in general are not used to the same degree uh, as topical estrogens anymore, at least in our practice. Yeah. Um, Vivel brand versus Vivel generic. I've seen so many cases of where a generic manufacturer's estrogen for some reason causes one outcome, yeah. but its branded counterpart gives a better outcome. Yeah. Where the patient, and, and, and that could be an issue of quality control. Nothing that we have anything to do with yeah. that just has to do with manufacturing. Sure. That's something that should realistically be handled by the FDA. Um, so as far as what's the, there is no best, but as far as estrogen goes, I love topical for my patients. Um, Creams, gels, patches in this case, which we don't make, um, are fantastic avenues. Um, in the world of compounding, we have so many options as far as dosing goes. We can go up, down in small increments if we need to. Um, we put things in a click system so that if someone wants to go up based on their provider's recommendation, they can. One click, two clicks, three clicks, whatever they need. 
um, and they rub it in and they go, it goes away. I mean, it disappears. A patch, although is convenient because it's twice a week or once a week, depending on the patch, um, you know, it can be uncomfortable for some patients. They have to leave it there and, you know, they may, they, they may not want to, although most of the t- times it's discreet. Um, progesterone, um, one of the things that I like oral versus topical is that oral I've seen, and because of some of its metabolic, through the metabolic pathway of progesterone when taken orally because it goes through the liver. Sure. You get um, 4-allopregnenolone, which is a kind of a, has a similar structure to, has a kind of GABA, GABA effects. Yeah. And it can cause drowsiness. So you see, as with oral progesterone, more so than topical, you still see it with topical, you get some drowsiness, which why a lot of providers will say, hey, I want you to take an oral progesterone capsule at bedtime to help you fall asleep. Um, so that's one of the side effects that a lot of my female patients who are going through perimenopause and menopause actually want. They want to sleep better because that's one of the things, unfortunately, when you're perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal woman, you yeah. suffer. Sleep is one of the first things that gets affected. Yeah. Is that the progesterone so, loss or estrogen or both, do you think? So I've always learned that falling asleep is a progesterone issue. Yeah. Staying asleep is an estrogen issue. Yeah. So again, it's an intricate balance and not having too much testosterone is also beneficial for your sleep. You have too much es- testosterone, you're going to be wired. It's not yeah. something you want. So yeah. keeping testosterone within that range, blood levels typically between two and 45, that's a, that's a sweet spot that I like to be. And I like to be not too high on the end of norm. Yeah. Somewhere more towards the middle to high. Uh, and then estrogen, progesterone, all of them all contribute too much thyroid. That can also affect, yeah. you know, how late you take your thyroid, how late you take your testosterone, how early you take your progesterone. So even the time of taking these medications can affect the outcome. Interesting. But, That's yeah, so, so interesting. What yeah. about a uh, real quick thyroid? Um, you know, I've been on compounded thyroid for my whole life. Um, and only one other time was taking an alternative that didn't work for me. Um, is, is it, do you find that women move over to a compounded thyroid and have a different level of success? Like, I know that's a big topic for a lot of the women who come to us who are taking Synthroid and other things and feeling like they're not, you know, managing well. You know, thyroid is a very touchy subject because, and I, I hate to say this, but compounded thyroids has its shortcomings shortcomings, but it also can be beneficial for those patients who are not responsive to armor and, um, Synthroid and so forth. Uh, Synthroid obviously is levothyroxine. And then you've got leothionine, which is, you know, T3 and levothyroxine is T4. Um, the, the thing is, is that those are obviously being bioidentical. Um, there's a lot of fluctuations and, and thyroid is something very hard to to kind of get a grasp on. That's why a lot of doctors will just give Synthroid. It's easy and it metabolizes itself from T4 to T3 and patients get good responses. If they're teeter-tottering between one dose and another dose and they just can't nail it, I think that's a great time for thyroid to come in. Or when there isn't a dose option, a ratio available because like Armour, for example, has a four to one ratio of T4 to T3. Some doctors will say, well, Armour only comes in a you know quarter grain, half grain, full grain. We want someone to be at three quarter grain. You know, we don't want them to take three pills um, because, and we want also not the other, there's other additives sometimes in armor that some patients don't do well on. So 
they'll ask us to make something. So in those cases, when I see that levothyroxine is not working, I think bioidentical thyroid can be han handy. Um, when armor is not working, the compounded yeah. T4, T3 yeah, can be helpful. Sure. It really just depends on the patient. Okay, great. So Ali, tell us um, how people can find you if they're interested in connecting either their practitioners to you or working with you directly to get, you know, some recommendations. Um, how can they find you? Well, first and foremost, one thing I forgot to mention is um, in the first question is why compounding pharmacy? And and I just want to let, you know, the, the viewers know um, we're actually going to be moving to a brand new facility here in Irvine in about 90 days, um, right by John Wayne Airport, which is going to be kind of like a state-of-the-art facility that myself and my business partner, uh, Dr. Ronnie Davini, um, are going to be coming together from our stores, bringing all of our patients together so we can kind of bring the best of all worlds together and manage all these patients under one you know, facility rather than having multiple locations. Um, that's number one. Uh, we're we're at 17500 Red Hill Avenue, Suite 250 in Irvine, California. You can reach us on the web um, at www.kingspharma.com or drcompound.com. Um, you can also Google us. We're available at both of our locations currently in Newport Beach and Irvine. And uh, we're here to help in any which way we can. So thank you, everyone, today for joining us. This has been such an informative session. I know many of you have questions about hormone therapy and compounding pharmacy, so um, make sure that you go to the King's Pharmacy website. Also on our website, you will see a link to Ali's information, um, this podcast, as well as video on demand, which will be available to you. If you so desire to get additional coaching and assistance, we do have coaches available on menocoaching.com. Um, as well as a lot of other resources. So please make sure and leave your feedback on these podcasts as it really helps us to get the word out and educate others. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having us. What I Wish I Knew is produced and distributed by EIQ Media Group, LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, spirituality, women's health, overcoming adversity, and more.